Welcome to the Soybean Pod, brought to you by South Dakota soybean farmers and their checkoff. I'm Tom Stever, discussing the incredible soybean, the people who grow it, and why that crop is so important. Soybean exports from the United States have been impressive. On this edition of the Soybean Pod, U.S. Soybean Export Council CEO Jim Sutter talks about U.S. soybean growers recently setting the all-time record in terms of the value of soybeans exported. The marketing year was the second highest in terms of soybean volume exported. That amounts to $40 billion worth and almost 72 million metric tons of soybeans being shipped to foreign soybean customers. There were several factors that led to those impressive numbers. You know, I think it was uh, continued good growth in demand around the world, despite all of the problems. We were quite fearful that with the pandemic situation and with the, the economic issues, the Ukraine conflict, that we wouldn't see that kind of demand, but it held up well. You know, we were pleasantly surprised, I think, with the way that demand held up. And also, I have to say that there was a little bit lower crop in South America, so the U.S. was there to fill that void. A year before this particular conversation, the Ukraine conflict was scarcely a month old. Sutter says soybean demand has maintained strength in spite of the fighting in that part of the world. However, it still causes worry among international marketers. When we spoke during Commodity Classic, Sutter was encouraged by soybean export demand so far. Yes, I would say the demand picture has played out in spite of that. I think the biggest concern is just what it's doing to the kind of global economic situation, to the extent that the strength of the dollar is somewhat tied to the conflict. That's the maybe negative thing or the worrying thing we see on the horizon. But I think last year, I mean, the world showed its resiliency and people around the world showed the demand resiliency for protein products and that continued to lead to these good exports. So year to date, we're almost halfway through the marketing year, you know, the way that uh, USDA looks at the exports and we're actually a little ahead of where we were last year at this time. So we've had a good start to the year led mainly by uh, China has been a strong buyer this year, so we're glad that they're there. They're a very important market for U.S. soy. Many other markets have been there, but China's really the one that's up versus where they were the year before. So I think we've, we started out well, but these clouds on the horizon that we're looking at, I would, I would really characterize them mainly in the, the kind of emerging markets, the places that we've been excitedly talking about the last few years, Egypt, Pakistan, Bangladesh, those kind of markets that are early stage, what we call emerging markets, because there are, the economies are just kind of ramping up, people are starting to consume more protein, but those countries are all being impacted by the strength of the dollar, which makes things more expensive in their local currency, and also those particular countries are having a little bit of economic trouble, so they have this more expensive prices in their local currency at a time they don't have strong economic conditions in the country. So we're a little worried about that. Current relations between the U.S. and China cause concern, but Sutter says its effects are not confined to just the two countries. 
You know, China is a, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's an important customer of U.S. soy, the largest market. And I think this overall relationship between China and the U.S. is important for the world. I think it sort of sets the tone for how the rest of the world gets along. So obviously it's worrying when these kind of high-level macro sort of issues happen. But we're working hard, and we've had real good success lately at having interaction with industry in China, with officials that are involved in the agricultural trade, and they all give us the strong signs that they want to really maintain this relationship. We refer to it kind of with ag trade being the ballast in this relationship that hopefully will keep this overall stormy relationship on more of an even keel. So we're working hard to do that. Recently I was in Washington, D.C. and had the opportunity to meet with some folks at the Chinese Embassy. There's an event going on in St. Louis in April where there'll be some Chinese participants. So uh, the agricultural sort of working level seems like things are coming back to life after COVID and uh, on a pretty good track. Demand for soybeans originates from many sources, but Sutter says the soybean component that has nutritive value is by far the most needed by those who raise livestock. Yeah, so I would say demand remains the biggest portion of demand for the the protein portion, the meal portion of a soybean, is far and away in the animal feed sector. Pigs, chickens, fish, dairy cattle, that kind of thing. But you've rightly identified that there is a growing amount of demand for human consumption. And this is in, you know, in Asian countries where it is used in tofu or natto or tempeh in Indonesia, uh, but also as an ingredient for many foods, excuse me. I think uh, there's just this growing idea that some people want plant-based products. You know, we had the advent of plant-based meat here in the United States, and it kind of came out as a big thing, and then it's lost some of the big thing. But there are still a certain segment of the population that wants to consume that. And we think that soy is an excellent way for those people who are choosing that sort of a product to get the protein in the product. And it's just an excellent ingredient. So we think that will be a growing segment. It's unlikely that it would ever overtake the animal side, but it's important side. Sutter spoke about a soybean grower initiative called the Right to Protein Campaign, which focuses on human nutrition. So in certain markets around the world, particularly again in in emerging markets or even in earlier stage developing markets, there's a problem with people not getting enough protein. And we started doing some analysis four or five years ago. We started in India looking at the number of people that were not getting the recommended daily amount of protein in their diets, particularly children and younger people. And it was over 50%, 60-70% in some parts of the country. And, and we then started this campaign working in concert with nutritionists, with dietitians, with hospitals, with schools, educating people about the right to protein, giving them the confidence that they should be trying to consume more protein. Because whether it's animal protein, if their diet, if their beliefs allow them to consume chicken in the case of India, or if it's more of this plant-based protein, that's what we need to have people doing for their own health benefit. And so it was really sort of trying to help the people live better, but also we believe that it's good for our U.S. soy industry on a long-term basis because we're growing overall demand for protein, which grows demand for soy. So this started in India. 
We've branched it out now to numerous other countries. I think the thing that Don referred to in this WISH program, I happened to hear that yesterday, was a, a campaign that we had in Nepal recently, and it was a 10 kilometer run to draw attention to this right to protein issue and we were so fortunate I happened to be there and participated but we were so fortunate in that the Prime Minister of Nepal came to the awards session after the run and passed out the awards to the winners and talked about the importance of protein in the diet for the people in his country and so we considered that a real success that somebody that important at that high level has kind of grasped onto this and said, yes, I learned about this and this is really important. And we're seeing that in numerous countries in that part of the world. So we think it's not only good for the people of those countries, but it should be good long-term for demand. On the subject of the Indian subcontinent, Sutter speculates about the importance of India, a significant soybean producer in its own right, becoming an increasingly important soybean customer of U.S. soybean growers. Well, there's certainly the thought that India is going to be important because, you know, in a few months it'll be the largest population country in the world, surpassing China. And we are quite excited that for the first time, the last couple of years, India has opened up a window where they've allowed the importation of commodity soybean meal. For years, that's been closed, and India's been an exporter of soybean meal. They're the fifth largest producer of soybeans in the world, so they produce their own, they crush them, they use the oil, but then they've had surplus meal because they, they have this protein shortage in the country. Well, the people are realizing that. They're feeding more poultry, they're feeding more fish, so they've actually had to import at certain times of the year to meet their local demand. So we think that India is going to be a growing market for soy protein. Now, will it be another China? That's a big question. They would have to... Chinese people love to eat meat, and particularly pork. I don't think that'll ever happen in India unless there's significant changes in religious situations and things. So it'll be different than China. We think it'll be a significant market in the future. Whether it's ever as big as China, uh, that's a good question. Several years ago, soybean growers were made aware of sustainability as a critical consideration in export competitiveness. Sutter says sustainability is still very important in that regard. Oh, it really is a prominent fixture, and I think it's something that people around the world are more and more interested in. We see it as the Gen Zers and the Millennials become some of the, the main drivers of consumption around the world. I think it's clear that people of this age bracket are very interested in knowing the production of the food that I'm eating, how is that impacting the, the environment, and where's my food coming from, all of those kind of things. And that plays so well into the sustainability of U.S. soy and U.S. ag generally. But our farmers have done such a great job over the last many years of following direction from the Soil Conservation Service and, and having their own desires to continue improving the quality of their farm for the next generation. We just have this great sustainability track record and we have a great sustainability story. So it's, it's fun to be able to market sustainability around the world. And just a couple examples of how important this is becoming. We have the U.S. Soy Sustainability Assurance Protocol or SSAP that allows buyers around the world to verify the sustainability of the product that they are taking, that they're importing, exporting from the U.S., importing into their country. We now had about 60% of the U.S. shipments last year, people had asked for this verification of sustainability. 
up from almost nothing, you know, six or seven years ago. So that really is growing. We have a program where people can put a sustainable U.S. soy logo on food products or feed products. So on a bag of pet food or on a bottle of cooking oil or on a package of tofu. We now have over a thousand SKUs that are using this in over 20 countries around the world. And that's grown tremendously in the last few years. So we really see sustainability as becoming a much more important issue, uh, almost becoming sort of table stakes in the countries that are choosing and driving this. Uh, they, they won't buy the products if they're not sustainable. So we think the U.S. really has a nice competitive advantage there. Finally, Sutter talks about the fuel component of the soybean and how that is meshing with production and demand for soy protein. One of the questions we get often is, uh, what about this drive towards renewable diesel? We've heard a lot about expansion of crush in the U.S. to meet the oil demands based upon renewable diesel. We're obviously excited about that. I mean, it's a kind of a sea change in the industry. It's a new demand stream for the oil product. We always talk about diversifying markets, so this is growing the good work done in biodiesel into renewable diesel, but it's also going to mean more meal is produced here. So our numbers would show that in the next seven or eight years, we're going to double the amount of meal we have to export from the U.S. while we keep the amount of soybeans about unchanged. The production growth will drive the additional crush. But we're excited to have more meal from the U.S. to be able to export. And people say, where will it go? Do you have markets for that? And I think we've got great markets both in Europe, in North Asia, Japan, Korea, Southeast Asia, the Americas. But I just want people to know that that's something we're watching very carefully and working with our teams around the world, working with the people that are going to be producing that meal and the customers around the world to make sure that as more crush comes on in the U.S., as there's more meal to export, we have markets where that will go. Thank you for the information, Jim Sutter. Tom, thank you. Jim Sutter is the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. The Soybean Pod is brought to you by South Dakota Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and at sdsoybean.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Stever. <laughs>